These days, if you walk around the Fairmount neighborhood of Philadelphia, you'll see cafes and bistros, all of which are close to the city's big art museums. It's a neighborhood where you could grab a drink and then stop by the Rodin Museum. But just a few blocks away, a giant wagon wheel structure looms. A massive, empty, and quite infamous old prison. Go inside, and it is a world away from the chic streets of Fairmont. Inside are these hallways that look like they go on forever, these hugely tall arch ceilings, but all among them the paint is peeling, the plaster is cracking. It is this place of abandonment, enormous abandonment. This is Eastern State Penitentiary. When this prison was built 200 years ago, Eastern State Penitentiary was meant to be a model for what prisons could be, clean, top of the line, fundamentally humane. A model that quickly went horribly wrong. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're heading to Philadelphia to go inside Eastern State Penitentiary and learn from its lofty intentions, its terrible failings, and its rebirth in a new form. That is all after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Before we talk about Eastern State Penitentiary, we have to talk about what came before it. The Walnut Street Jail, built in Philadelphia in 1773. In the Walnut Street Jail, men, women, and yes, even children, were all held together in giant rooms. There was fighting, abuse, violence, and disease. It was bad. And Walnut Street was pretty typical for its time. The horrific conditions of typical prisons in the world up until the 18th century were basically bad people were put into places to keep them away, to punish them with misery, 
um, and to the greatest extent possible, just leave them there. Or you know, prisoners were physically punished by and sometimes tortured. This is David Brownlee. He's an architectural historian and expert on Philadelphia's history and buildings, including its historical prisons. The fact that we are in Philadelphia here in particular is important because literally right next to the Walnut Street Prison was Independence Hall, the place where in 1776 the Declaration of Independence was signed. And after the revolution, some Philadelphians looked at places like Walnut Street Jail and thought that they didn't stack up to the Declaration's ideals. So in 1787, a group got together to do something about this. It was led primarily by Quakers, and they called themselves the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons. It was a noble mission, and they set out with a plan, a plan to create a more humane prison. Their belief was that among all the powers that human beings had, and as part of the basic capacity of human beings to govern themselves, that those whom we judged to be prisoners were actually capable and worthy human beings uh, who could pretty much, by just being separated from bad influences, cure themselves, become better citizens. And, and we could create a system in which, as the Declaration of Independence said, all men are created equal, prisoners too. So instead of these overcrowded, violent places, the society decided that their prison would provide quiet places for inmates to reflect on and repent for the crimes that they had committed. It, it was a radical new way of thinking about criminal justice, so radical that it even coined a new name. The term penitentiary is, rather than prison or jail, is based on the notion that some part of this would be a sense of penitence, that human beings had a sort of self-correcting, self-adjusting mechanism inside and left to, you know, you just sit quietly there and it would occur to you, oh gosh, I should not have done that. I feel penitent about it. The society won over the state government with this idea. And first they set out to convert the old Walnut Street Jail into a penitentiary. But then they decided to take their vision even further by building an all-new prison. And in 1821, they held a design contest to make their dreams a reality. And the winning design was this. A great symmetrical wagon wheel of a building with radiating arms, which are aligned with individual cells where individual prisoners uh, would be kept in isolation. Each would have a, a room, in an inside room, and in a sense, an outside room, a private exercise yard open to the sky. The design was meant to keep prisoners isolated, to maximize time for self-reflection, and also arranged them in a way that the guards could keep an eye on all of them at all times, a kind of panopticon. The prison was advanced in other ways, too. These spaces, because the prisoners were to be kept isolated, had to be heated, so the building had central heating before the White House had central heating. It had flush toilets before the White House had indoor toilets. It had running water. In 1829, Eastern State Penitentiary was ready to receive its first inmates. And prisoner number one was an inmate named Charles Williams. Williams was led to his new cell with a hood over his eyes, led into a cell that was just a bed, a workbench, and a toilet, and only allowed the personal possession of a Bible to spend the rest of his two-year sentence in total isolation. 
After Eastern State Penitentiary opened in 1829, the general public wasn't allowed inside. But that didn't stop droves of people from gathering outside the prison walls, clamoring for a peek. In 1858, there were 10,000 visitors to Eastern State. Um, You know, this is 1858. There was not yet a Philadelphia Museum of Art. There was not a Metropolitan Museum of Art. There was no national park system. Eastern State Penitentiary was something that people were interested in seeing. For one thing, the building itself was just enormous and really different. The wagon wheel design itself was really visually interesting to people. But people were also drawn there because of the idea of the penitentiary itself. I do think it also did represent what people wanted to believe was the perfectibility of mankind. You know, that all men really were created equal. That there was no reason to think that some people would just always be be evil, that they would always be criminals. That you just had to figure out how to get them on the right path. One of the prison's most famous visitors was Charles Dickens. Yes, that Charles Dickens. On his tour of America, he made a special stop at Eastern State Penitentiary. And when he arrived in 1842, he, like many of the visitors who had gathered outside of the walls, was really eager to see this new model of prison that had been billed as more humane and more progressive. Instead, what he saw inside horrified him. Over the head and face of every prisoner who comes into this melancholy house, a black hood is drawn. And in this dark shroud, he is led to the cell from which he never again comes forth until his whole term of imprisonment has expired. He is a man buried alive. I believe that very few men are capable of estimating the immense amount of torture and agony which this dreadful punishment, prolonged for years, inflicts upon the sufferers. This was an experiment, and I think it's fair to say that the experiment in in improving people by isolating them from contamination may sound fine in some theory, but the the, the horrific psychological uh, effect of solitary confinement was very, very soon recognized. What's more is that over time, the prison actually became overcrowded as well. And by 1913, Eastern State Penitentiary decided to do away with the system of solitary confinement altogether. Other parts of the building, like its once state-of-the-art plumbing and heating systems, became outdated and run down as the 20th century progressed. And from the 1900s on, there were multiple prisoner riots. It was overcrowded, unsanitary, unsafe, and cruel. In the end, you could say the prison reproduced the very conditions it had set out to eradicate. Eastern State Penitentiary was closed down in the 1970s. Over the next few decades, abandoned and empty, Eastern State Penitentiary began to decay. Trees started growing inside the old prison walls, a colony of cats took up residence, and the building was slowly falling apart. There were a number of proposals to redevelop the site over the years. Under the guidance of a task force of historians and architects, the city landed on a radical scheme to keep Eastern State as a stabilized ruin. Once the building was secured and was made sure that it wasn't going to fall on you, 
It also wasn't renovated. It was left in its original state of decay. So today when you walk around, you'll see paint and plaster peeling. You'll see old broken down furniture. You'll see cells left almost like there was someone in them not that long ago. It is like walking in a truly abandoned building, except it's meant to be like that. It's decrepit, it's eerie, and it's incredible. You can look into the preserved cell of Al Capone. You can walk down these enormous echoey halls and feel the history. It's a visually amazing place, but that sense of time and of where, it also helps you understand what happened there. A cleaned up shiny version wouldn't have a fraction of the power of Eastern State Penitentiary. Today, run as a nonprofit, Eastern State is able to do all kinds of things at once. It's home to ghost tours. It has these crazy, incredible Halloween haunted houses. They turn the prison into this maze of nightmare scenarios, and they raise an enormous amount of money from doing these. Uh, they're also, like, genuinely terrifying. <laughs> but all of this is in service of a more important mission. The ruins of Eastern State Penitentiary have also become a serious place of reflection and teaching. It's home to history exhibits where visitors can consider the criminal justice system, both past and present, to reflect on the history and mistakes of not just Eastern State Penitentiary, but our entire prison system in general. The challenging and interesting challenging thing is that Eastern State is both a representation of our idealism and in our capacity um, to embrace progressive ideals, but it's also a place where we can examine the, our failures in that quest. And I think in the contemporary context, you could say even more than our failures, the positive evil uh, that we have perpetrated. Eastern State is today, in some ways, what it set out to be in the beginning a place to reflect and be penitent. The penitentiary is currently open for daytime tours. It is an incredible place to visit. I highly recommend it. And special thanks to David Brownlee for telling us the story of Eastern State Penitentiary. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Kaplan, Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet 
you know, to describe a hairstyle come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.